All right. So um, we are in week two of our series entitled uh, Peace and Purpose. Peace and Purpose. In our last um, sermon, we talked about how we have been conditioned by the world to chase after false Christs, to chase after false chosen ones, to chase after things that appease the flesh and without a knowledge of a differentiation between the flesh and the spirit, we will fall victim and fall prey to these false Christs in their empty promise of joy, satisfaction, peace, and purpose, and become more and more empty on the inside on where our soul is concerned, despite any good feelings we may have in the short term in pursuit of our dreams, our goals, our endeavors, or whatever. And um, in the point that we were making in the last sermon is that, you know, in order for us to know what it is that our soul needs and what it's looking for, we have to follow the true Christ. But the problem has been in, in recent times that when people go out into our various churches, they can't tell the difference between Christ and the world because everything looks alike. And now more than ever, things are looking more like the world than they are, than they are Christ than in any other generation to where even those who are preaching and teaching there, they may not necessarily be, be preaching or teaching a full gospel. They may be teaching pieces of it, but they're not teaching the full counsel. And as a result, people don't know when things are not going the way that they ought, that they think they ought to go, that it may not be an indication of, um, of them not following Christ, but rather they think that, you know, they must be doing something wrong or they're trying the wrong Christ or they're trying the wrong Jesus. And so they don't know where to go. They don't know where to look. And all the while they're still searching for peace and for purpose. And so what we want to do today is we want to start to take off, so to speak, on understanding who Christ is and how does he give us peace and purpose? And so in order, to, in order to start that conversation, we first have to understand what is faith really about? Is it about us or is it about God? And the reason we have to answer that question is because far too often we've made our pursuit of spirituality and our pursuit of faith about us and not about the creator. We've made it about fulfilling our peace and fulfilling our purpose instead of looking to the one who created everything and asking him, what does it mean to be at peace and what does it mean to have purpose? And so again, one of the, that's where I want to start our conversation off. Um, and I want to turn to Ezekiel 36 as kind of a starting point for us to, um, to be working through today. Ezekiel chapter 36. And starting with verse 16, and we'll go down, um, all the way to 32 and then end it um, on verse 38. 
The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. Whoa. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through, through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds. I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name in that people said of them. These are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when, you, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and sprinkle and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. And then he says in verse number 38, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. In again, more so than in any other generation, but been happening since the dawn of time. Clearly. People have all have made their faith walk about them. It's all about me. What can I get from worshiping God? What can I get out of following him? As we follow the false Christs that are out there, for instance, we're following them because we want to appease the flesh in some type of way. I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel good about getting this. I want to feel good about doing that. And so we go about trying to find whatever it is we can to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. I had a client that I was talking to earlier this week, and she said to me that she picks and chooses what she wants out of everything that she sees to make it fit her. So she's picked and choose things out of Christianity. She's picking chosen things out of, out of Buddhism, out of yoga, out of, all these different things that are out there in the world. 
and she's made the, the she's picked the things that made sense to her and made them fit her so she can feel good about herself to the point where I asked her, what is your end game? And she said to become God. And so in that now, mind you, ain't nothing wrong with her. She's not crazy. She just realizes what her end game is and how she wants to go about doing it. Because I asked her the subsequent question, well, how does that work for you? And she said, I honestly don't know because I want to love everybody, but everybody doesn't love me. And so, again, she has an idea of what she feels like fulfillment and peace looks like for her, what purpose looks like for her. But she's going about it in a way in which um, it's, 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 it's put her on the throne. She is the center of the universe. And by and large, a lot of us live that way. Even Christians, even some Christians live as though God's end game is to make us happy. God's end game is to make us rich. God's end game is to make us wealthy, famous, is to give us power, prestige, to get, give us the easy life where we don't have to work hard. We don't have to work for anything. We can just be who we want to be and do what we want to do. Make sure the right on. Um, and be able to be in a place of complete satisfaction and joy without any cares in the world. We make ourselves the center of the universe. And when we do that, we will sometimes think that God's end game is us. You can even hear it in some of the songs that we sing. And if you don't have a good ear to hear what the songwriter is trying to say, you can think that some of the gospel songs, even really good gospel songs, are about us. The song, for instance, The Reckless Love of God, when it talks about how God is hunting us down, you know, fighting to not go, getting through the 99 just to get to us and, the, and, and hitting us with this, this overwhelming, um, never ending, reckless love. We can think that God loves us so much that he's made it his mission in life to rescue us, that we are the prize, that we are the end game of God, that he's going out of his way to make sure that he loves us, that he cares about us, that he protects us, that he provides for us. And yes, those things are true. God has gone out of his way. To, to love us. He has gone out of his way and reached way down, as the songwriter said, to pick us up. You know, he's gone out of his way to turn us around and to show us the, re the reckless abandon that he has in which he loves us, that despite us sinners and despite our sin, he died for us. So God has indeed demonstrated his love for us that when we didn't deserve his love, he loved us anyway. When we did everything we could to sometimes just outright war against God, we, he still loved us. When we were saying yes to him and then saying yes to everything else we wanted to do at the same time, not with being lukewarm, as he said, when he's like, I'd rather you hot or cold, the lukewarm folk got spit out in my mouth. You know, he still loved us. While we were yet faithless, he's still faithful. But a lot of people nowadays have gotten it mixed up where they think that that's God's end game, that God's sole focus is just to shower us with love. But that is not God's point. That is not God's end game. That is not what God is mostly seeking after. But if we don't know that, we will think that it's okay for us to do one of two things, either one, 
pick and choose the parts of scripture that fit with my life and put myself on the throne and go and pick all of these other things that are out there in the world that make sense to me and make myself a God, much like the people in, um, in the people of Israel did when they created, um, when they created a calf because they were, weren't satisfied with God while Moses was up on the mountain, or we will take what we hear from, you know, from different churches and things like that and take those mantras of God is love. God is this, you know, and, and, and in doing so only take a piece of God and think that we are the center of his universe. And all the while God is saying one of the biggest reasons why we don't know what God is up to is because we don't know who he is. We're listening to what a lot of people have to say about him, but we're not asking him, who are you? Isn't it funny how sometimes you cannot have a relationship with somebody because of something you heard <laughs> from somebody else? You didn't hear it from them. You heard it from somebody else. And so this person who might be one of the best people on planet Earth, you don't know anything about them outside of what somebody told you. So you won't get to know them for yourself. And all the while, this person's like, I don't know why they will ever feel like that toward me. Because, I mean, I'm the one of, I think I'm pretty good. You know, I'm not the best person on earth, but I'm definitely better than what they said. I remember watching the movie Hercules with, um, with The Rock. And they had a, a person on their team who told the stories, the legends. And the legends made Hercules and the team seem like they were larger than life. Like they had powers. Like you, if they ever showed up in your land, you feared them because of what you heard. But then when they got there, oh, they're human. They, they eat like us. They drink like us. They, 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 they bleed like us. Like they're human. They're strong as crap, but they're still human. Like they ain't doing nothing special. But the stories we heard about them is what made them seem like they were larger than life. Like they had superpowers, like they were doing all sorts of strange, magnanimous things. And all the while, it's like, I mean, no, we just out here fighting. <laughs> this is what we do. But because of what they heard, they got the story wrong. They got who they were wrong. How many of us have had a faulty idea or a faulty message of who God is? And we never consulted the source. We never talked to God and asked God, can you show me who you are? Can you tell me who you are? I've heard all these things from all these people who have said you're either a, a mean God who hates people, you, you hate gays, you, 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 you hate you know, black people, you, you're only for the whites, or you know, you're a white man's you know, God, and all, this other, all these other things that we've heard people say, but never consulted, sorry, not, never consulted the source. Never consulted the source and said, hey, God, show me who you are. Hey, Holy Spirit, show me who you are. You know, we've all we've listened to other people who've had all these things to say. We've gone to some churches and experienced some church hurt and have a faulty idea of who God is. We had faulty, you know, well, I'm not going to say faulty. We had parents who loved us the best they could with where they were, even if it was terrible. Um, for some people, but they loved us the best they could with where they were and justified it by saying, God says, honor mother and father. 
And so we've had faulty ideas of who God is and we've acted accordingly. Same way that we can say that some of us heard that God wants to prosper you and not harm you. God's going to make you the head and not the tail. He's going to make you above and not beneath. That he wants you to be successful. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be wealthy. He wants to bless you and not curse you. And so we have, again, these finite ideas of who God is, but we've never consulted the source and said, God, tell me who you are. Show me who you are. And as such, we have built for ourselves these false versions of who God is, and we're worshiping the false version in some way, shape, or form, even so much to say that some of us are worshiping the anti-God in that I'm not going to worship God because I don't like who he, who, who he's painted out to be. So I'm going to be agnostic. Or I'm going to be atheist or whatever. Saying all that to say that we would, um, that, his, that, that even though we have these finite ideas of who he is, again, we've just never consulted the source. We've never asked. We've never said, God, show me who you are. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you a picture of who God is, but I don't want you to just take my word for it because I'm going to be picking apart different parts of the Bible, gospel-centered, of course, um, but picking apart different versions of the Bible to be able to then show you a picture of who God is and then challenge you to open up your Bibles and open up your hearts and open up your ears to hear what God has to say about who he is to you. Not who he is to you, but who he is to you. So that way you can begin to have an understanding for yourself of who God is based in scripture and based in gospel truths rather than just going off of what other people have told you. The main things that I want us to know about who God is, is that he's all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, and self-sufficient. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's um, ever-present, and he's self-sufficient. Um, if we go to Romans chapter, chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, you'll find these words here. And I forgot to put my tabs in my Bible today, so I'm having to do some, some walking today. All-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, and self-sufficient. Verses 33 to 36 of chapter 11 say, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. So God is all powerful, right? What that tells us that God with God being all powerful is that by him having created the entire universe, there is nothing that he can't do. He created everything <laughs> from nothing. We as people, if we're going to create something, we need raw materials to create it. Now we are some of the most innovative people on the planet. This is not, this is not called spade a spade, but anything that we create, we literally need materials in order to create it. We can't think guitar and a guitar show up. 
We can't think couch and the couch show up. No, we got to get something to make the strings. We got to get something to make the bass. We got something to make the, the knobs. We got to do something to make these little doodads. I don't know what those things are, you know, that make this bridge that actually stick the, um, stick the strings in. We got somebody's got to make this little capo so that way you can change the notes when you want to without having to figure out where the um, finger things have to go. And thank God they did that because I didn't know that was possible until I got one. But you can't make this out of nothing. Like you have to go inside and, bore, and, and either bore this or you got to create this shell and then create the little parts inside and then put the thing on and make the like all of that has to be made by something. You need something to make something. God is the only being in the universe who can create something from nothing. And let me just say this. God in the, in the Godhead is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three are one. Make sure I say that because that is, that is truth. The them, the Godhead, them, him, they're all the same even though they're distinct. We're going to talk about that in, later, in, a later ser in a later sermon. But all of them, when they got together in the beginning, they said, let's make everything. So God said, let there be light. Let there be trees. Let there be water. Let there be a, a something that separates the two. Like the, the, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. They made all the vegetation. They made the animals. Six, five days they did all that. On the sixth day, let us make man in our image. Made man. Made Adam. Made Eve. All those things God made from nothing except for man. He made man from dust. But even then, he put the breath of life in that man. And he became man. You see what I'm saying? And so God created everything from nothing. That means that he has the power to do anything he wants to. That's the God that we serve. Like he is all powerful. Like remember when the genie said he was all powerful, but had an itty bitty living space. That is not your God. Furthermore, he's all powerful, but he had a master to answer to. Uh, God answers to no one. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Like God and genie are psh, infinitesimally, infinitesimally opposed to each other when it comes to who's powerful. God is the most powerful being in the known universe. So we get into the unknown parts where he's at. He's the most powerful person in that realm. You can't touch him. You, you can't touch him. Like, like he is the undisputed champion of the world when it comes to how strong and how mighty and how powerful he is, right? But not also, not only is he um, all-powerful, he's also all-knowing. Deuteronomy 10 and 14 have these words to say. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and earth and all in, in, in the heaven to, to behold to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Um, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples on this day. And that's going again back to him being all um, being all powerful. Um, let me go to first Corinthians chapter three. Let's 
And we're looking at verse 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone amongst you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or the future. All are yours and you in Christ and Christ is God's. And what he's saying there is that there is nothing that you know that God doesn't know. There's nothing that you understand that God doesn't understand. And the way that they say it here in, ver in chapter 2 of um, 1 Corinthians is he says that um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, no, I'm sorry, let me go all the way back to chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse number 27. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us a wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In verse 25 of that same chapter, it says, the foolishness of God of, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And what he's saying there, we can't hold a candle to what God knows. You go to a history book and they give you the most robust, comprehensive idea of what happened back in July 3rd, 1948. God says, I was there. I can tell you the temperature. I can tell you the clouds that were covering. I can tell you where there was rain falling. I can tell you what person or persons were on the beach that day. I can tell you what secret service spies were up to. I get all the things that are redacted in the files, all the classified files. I got them. Like, what, you, what do you want to know? I can tell you because I was there. God knows everything that ever happened in the history of ever. He knows everything that is about to happen. He knows what's going to happen until the end of the age. But not only does he know it, he was there for it. And so there's nothing that you know that he doesn't know. And there are things he knows you will never know. Not only does he know about everything that's happened in the world, he also knows everything that makes everything work. He knows how many cells you have. He knows how many, you know, bones are perfect. He knows how many bones in you are deformed. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head, literally the number of hairs that are on your head. He knows which ones are gray. He knows how many of them joints are there. He knows where they're gray at. God knows everything. There's nothing that you know that he don't know. That is the God that you serve. When you say to him in your prayers, 
Lord, I can't believe I did this. God's like, I know, I, I know, I, I know, I know, I, I know what you did. I know what you did. And so that is the God that you serve. He knows everything. But not only does he know everything, he's ever present, which means, just as I said, he doesn't just know it. He was there. So when you go again to your prayers and, and tell him, you know, I messed up last night. Oh, I know. I was watching. I know. I saw it. I know. It was right there. And so you think that you're getting away just because you cover up mama's picture when you're out doing what you want to do in your bedroom. Yeah, you covered up mama's picture because you were ashamed to do it in front of her. But you don't appear to have any shame doing it before your Lord, who is always watching. Now, that's not to shame anybody, but it's just the present reality that we have to live with. A lot of people don't want to worship God and don't want to believe in God because there is an inherent shame that they feel on the inside when they're doing something that they know in their heart of hearts goes against what he knows to be true. And so you have people, I remember seeing this movie one time of this, of this guy and this girl that were getting together. And as they were getting together, the girl saw the picture of Jesus or something on her wall and she took it off her wall. So that way she could do what she wanted to do with this guy. So even though we don't want to worship God at times, we have a feeling of his presence in such a way to where we won't defile things that are of God so that we can do what we want to do. How often have we made the have, have some of us made a joke, you know, you know, would you ever do something in a church? You know, would you ever, you know, would you ever have sex in a church? And for most of us, it's like, oh, no, no, I would never do anything like that. But how often do we have people who have done exactly that? And, and again, I'm not saying that there's a rightness or a wrongness to it. But what I'm saying is some people, they have a reverence for God to where they won't. But some people have an audacity to do it anyway. But God is saying, why are you doing it when you know that it's wrong? Because I'm in a church and in a house and in a car and on your job and outside. I'm in Las Vegas. I'm in New Orleans. I'm in New York. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in Paris. I'm in the, I'm in the Atlantic Ocean. I'm in Antarctica. You can't escape me. Um, some man said it like this. If I go up to the heavens, there you are. If I make my bed in hell, there you are. I can't escape this guy. Like I can't escape him. Like there's no escaping the presence of God. His presence is everywhere. Even in the most vile of places, God is there. Crack house. He's there. Whorehouse. He's there. Strip club. He's there. Church. He's there. Your job. He's there. Prison. He's there. You can't escape him. He is every freaking where you can't get away from him. And with all of that being said, the last part is my favorite part because he's self-sufficient. Go back to Romans chapter 11 and he's in, um, in the, in the writer says this. Who has a gift to him? that he might be repaid. We can sometimes think, some of us churchgoers, that we owe God our stuff in an attempt to barter and trade with him. We can praise God in expectation of something as if God 
needs our praise. He needs our worship. He needs our money. He needs our time, our talent, our treasure. He needs these things as if God is a God who's begging his people for worship, begging his people for money, begging his people for praise. Can I, can I stick a pin in that today? God don't need nothing from us. He is the master and commander of the universe. Known and unknown, seen and unseen, he owns and governs it all. He's given Jesus the authority to hold all things together. Not us, Jesus. And Jesus is part of the Godhead, which means they're all running it together. He don't need us at all. God is saying to us every single day, oh, you think I need you for my purpose to be done? No, I don't need you. Yeah, I want you to be a part of my kingdom, but I don't need you to make this thing work. I got this. I'm God. I don't need your church. I don't need your pastoring. I don't need, I don't need any of this stuff to make this work. I don't, I don't need you to make my purpose be known. I don't need you to make my glory be known. I can make my glory known any way that I see fit. I'm God. I've decided how I want to do it. I don't need any of you to do anything. You can't give me anything that's already that's not already mine. The money that you own, I, I own that. The car that you drive, I own that. The house that you live in, I own that. The, the church that you worship in, I own that. The songs that you sing, I own your voice. What do you mean? I own the I own your 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 sopranos, your altos, your tenors, your octaves. I own all of that. You can't worship me. The words you use to worship me with, I own those. Who came up with language? I did. You you think you oh you think you're giving me something? You're not giving me anything. He even told his own um his own children of Israel when they were sending up, you know, um the 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 sacrifice. He's like, dude, these things stink. I don't need this. I don't need your, 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 your bulls and your rams and your goats. You know, I don't even need what I'm asking you for. You know, I don't, you think that this, you think I need this? I don't need that. I want your worship. Yes. I want your heart. Yes. But I don't need anything that you're doing for me. I don't even need your worship. You know, if I wanted to ask Moses, I can make another people. Ask Abraham, ask, not Abraham, ask Noah. I wiped the world of everybody wicked in it. I didn't need them. I didn't need him. I got this. What can you do for me that I can't do for myself? You think I need another, you know, you think I need food as, I, if, as if I can be fed? You think I need money as if I need somebody to go buy me some clothes? I don't need any of this stuff. And far too often, one of the problems that we find in a lot of our churches is that we are put in this space of thinking that God needs my stuff. And so let me give of myself and we run our fingers to the bone thinking that we're giving God something when in reality, God doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. But sometimes these false gospels and false narratives that we paint out there make us feel as though if I'm not doing it, then God's purpose is not going to be fulfilled. And it's like, uh, no, 
God's purpose is going to be fulfilled with or without you because he's God. Now, that can sound rather depressing, right? Because, well, shoot, if God don't need me, what's the point? That's exactly the point. God doesn't need you, but he wants you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. My wife and I had a conversation with each other way back in 2014. She said to me one day, I came to the realization that if we were to get a divorce, I could live without you. I actually don't need you. And at first that kind of hurt. Like, you don't need me. It's kind of hurt. You don't need me. What are we here for? But she said to me, I don't need you, but I want you. And that the declaration was indicative of the relationship that God has with us. God doesn't need us. He's God, all powerful, all knowing, ever present, self-sufficient. The dude doesn't need us. And yet he still wants us. That's great news that the God of the universe who doesn't need us at all to do anything still wants us. When you consider the fact that we have aligned ourselves against God one time after another, and yet God has not destroyed us. Our sins should have killed us, and yet God spared us long enough to have a relationship with him, and spared us long enough to realize God don't need us, but he wants us. God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me? Come on, man. Like, that is clear. That is, can be clear as, clear, as, clear as day in the song. Like, you don't, you don't need us, but he wants us. Now, again, some people can kind of warp that and be like, oh, God loves me. Oh, we're going to, he wants, he wants me. I'm the center of his universe. No, that's not the point. He doesn't need us, but he wants us, which, at which, little words, which is why we have to ask the question, what does God want us for? Because again, he don't need us, but he wants us. But God's not, God wanting us is not his end game, right? So if he doesn't need us, but he wants us, what does he want us for? Go back to Ezekiel chapter 36. And we, again, we find the same words we found before. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Went too far. Here we go. He said in verse number, verse number 21, I have concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which I came, which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, to which you have profaned among the nations, to which you came. Verse 32, it is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Verse 38, then they will know that I am the Lord. So what is God's end game? God's glory. God wants to be glorified and he's chosen to be glorified through us. 
That's his decision. I cannot go up to God and say, well, God, why you chose it that way? Because God going to look at me and say, well, where were you when I created the universe? Where, where were you when the, when, the, when, the, when the waters were formed, Job? I mean, talk to me. I mean, you act like you got all the answers, so dress up like a man. Oh, don't, don't, don't punk out now. <laughs> Suit up. Talk to me. Where were you when I created the animals? Where were you when I put the stars in place? Who are you to question why I'm choosing to do things the way that I want to? Now, I, I'm glad you asked. There it is. There's your answers by this revealed word that he's given us. This is why I'm doing it the way I'm doing it, because I'm choosing this way. But beyond that, you don't get to know that. And that is OK, because he's the creator. He's the creator. Therefore, we are we should sit in a seat of gratitude that he chose us to exact his will upon the world, his will upon the universe and chose us in such a way to where despite the, the fact that he has us dead to rights and we should be taken out of this world, by all, by all intents and purposes should be taken out of this world, he's decided instead, I want to use you to show my glory to my people so that they know that I am God. So, yes, I could come down and scare everybody. I am the Lord. I could do it like that. And there are probably some times that God has shown himself up in some visions from people every now and then to scare the mess out of them. Probably been some times that God has scared the mess out of us. And we thought that, you know, I thought that I should have been dead. But then I felt like he left me. And so now I'm definitely terrified that he actually did go away. But God's intention is not to scare us into a relationship with him. Rather, he wants us to be in a loving relationship with him, but he's doing it so that he can be glorified. He wants to be known through this to this world. And he's chosen us, these miserable, pitiful human beings who bears can kill us in an instant. Sharks can kill us in an instant. Lions can kill us in an instant. He chose us to be the viceroys in this world to go about and show people his glory. So what he does, and we'll talk about this in greater detail, is he secures our peace with him through Christ. And then by the power of Christ gives us purpose. He saves us for his glory. And then he gives us the mission of, 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 of giving the gospel, of preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel so that he might be glorified. Peace and purpose. And he does that because he wants to, not because he has to. And he does that so that he can be glorified. That is your God, the all powerful, all knowing, ever present, self sufficient, don't need us, God, has chosen to glorify himself. By the power of Christ and what, his, what, his, what he accomplished on the cross to give us salvation so that we can then be on mission with him to go about telling people about this man named Jesus and what he did for our sins and pardoning us from death so that he can be glorified. God's glory is his end game. 
And that is what brings about peace and purpose to us. The fact that God is getting glory out of us. If our story was about us and not about God, then we'd be a million ways over doing everything under the sun that we want to do, just like the Israelites did in the book of Judges. They did what was right in their own eyes. And every time they did what was right in their own eyes, it led to chaos. And then they get back with God through a judge. Then that judge would die. And then they go back to doing what they wanted to do. Like that, and, that, and that is the, sometimes the narrative of our own lives. We'll get along with God for a moment, but then something will come along and it'll spin us out of control. We'll go about doing things our way, get into a big old mess and come right back to God and then swing right back away from him and back and forth and back and forth we go. And all the while asking, God, where's my peace? God, what am I supposed to be doing? I don't have purpose. And God is saying, I am your peace. You keep swinging away from me. I am your purpose. You keep swinging away from me. Every time you feel you got you good with me for a minute, something else catches your attention. Something else catches your affection and you swing the pendulum away and try to find peace and purpose through some other thing. And God, and again, he's saying all the while, I am your peace. I am your purpose. Glorifying me is your purpose. Getting me getting glory is what brings you peace. Why are you swinging away from me? Again, when we don't make God God, when we have some finicky idea of who he is, or we've constructed a God of our own imagination or made ourselves God for crying out loud, we find ourselves constantly searching for peace and purpose. And that's why it begins and ends with God. We are not the center of the universe. God is the center of the universe. I can't even say that because he created the universe. God is beyond the universe. And if we don't hold him in his proper place in our lives, seated on the throne, walking along with us, ever watching, uh, uh, watching over us up on high, if we ever take him off that throne, then we find ourselves wandering in the wilderness, searching for peace and purpose. And God is trying to tell us today, it begins and ends with me. So stop seeking false Christs. Stop seeking self-help. Stop seeking solely therapy. I mean, making sure I say that right. Solely therapy. Stop seeking these celebrities and stop seeking social media and stop seeking influence and stop seeking influencers and stop seeking money and passion and fame and glory and sex and drugs and, and all these other things thinking they're going to bring about peace, thinking they're going to bring about purpose because you weren't designed for those things to bring you everlasting peace and everlasting purpose. I created you and, and because I created you, the only way you're going to secure peace and purpose is through me. It begins and ends with me. Jesus said it like this, and I'm going to shut up. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. I'll say one more thing. Colossians chapter one says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So again, 
you can't get to God without Christ. You can't get to him without Jesus. But thanks be to God that he's provided a roadmap. If you're just willing to sit down with God long enough to let him show you the way. He will put the heart of flesh in you, take the heart of stone out of you and give you a heart to worship him, give you a heart to study him, give you a heart to open up your open up your heart and mind to him. But you got to let God do that work. And it begins with asking God, not asking man, not asking TikTok, not asking, you know, Google, who is God, but asking God himself, who are you? And God, a blessing to the reading, the doing of his word. Amen.